welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good evening. Welcome. My name is Ed. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hi, Ed. My co-leader is expected. The topic we are sharing on this evening is what to do with isolation and loneliness. According to directions that you're already familiar with, please turn off any electronics. Uh, please do not record any of this section because it's being recorded uh, for vending. Okay? Um, in the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this session is recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during the session. If you do not want to be recorded but need to share, we encourage you to attend another non-recording meeting or stick around afterwards for sharing. Please do not touch any of the equipment. If you want to share, come up to the front, sit next to us with the microphone. Uh, please leave the microphone on the table and do not touch it because it makes noise in the recording. Um, you will each have plenty of time to share. Maybe I shouldn't be so generous. Let's let's say uh, four, three to four minutes, okay? Um, let's begin with a moment of silence for all who are still suffering and unable to attend a meeting, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the wisdom I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Amen. Once again, our topic is what to do with isolation and loneliness. I'll share for um, five minutes. Would somebody please time me? Ben, thank you. And then... Uh, uh, then we'll have the other share, if possible. If not, we'll open the floor. Okay. Um, I describe my feelings generally from childhood to adulthood as lost, lonely, and afraid. And uh, when I looked at this topic, I, I uh, had been communicated with Wally, and uh, he said to, to me, um, uh, I'm the chair first person uh, for the subcommittee on uh, programming. I uh, would like to lead you in a, have you lead a breakout session uh, on uh, this topic. And I wrote back to him, um, I can be persuaded. I am nervous about recording as I like to isolate. <laughs> Imagine that, exclamation point. And then he sent back this, sounds like you are just the guy for this session. Thanks for accepting the challenge. <laughs> so you can give me feedback afterwards whether I fill the bill or not. How did I get to feeling like that? You know, I look at the photographs of my childhood, 
There's one that was somebody gave me, a cousin of mine, uh, not too long ago, maybe within the last five years. And I was running towards the camera, and I was just a happy, uh, wonderful-looking child. And my arms were out and open. And then I look at my second-grade picture in class, and I, my, I'm frowning. Um, I'm, I'm obviously not happy. And what, well, so what happened? Um, my parents tell me, uh, because I don't remember this, first of all, I got lost. And obviously there was some distress, and, and you know, when you read about lost children and so forth in the newspaper and so forth. Um, we lived on a major highway, <laughs> and it was a big deal. I'd have no remembrance of that. And this is the first time I've actually shared this in, in an essay context. And I, I don't know what significance that might have, but I've always identified myself as lost. Now, after that, and I figured that was about two years old. You know, then the, then the fence went up and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And, and, and we had a wonderful family life. Uh, and then I remember mom got sick. And then I, I didn't have dad available, although both my parents were present. You know, and, but I asked dad about that years later, and I'll come back to that, but he said that, that your mom was going nuts. <laughs> that was his phrase. She wasn't, she had, uh, some very serious, uh, health problems. But anyway, uh, at the same time, there was a, a, a classmate of mine, I think I was in kindergarten or first grade at the time, who sexualized me. And, and that was a, a significant event. Um, then in second grade, my second grade teacher sexually abused me. That I did share at an essay convention once in my, telling my story. And a woman came up a- afterwards because I described the nature. I didn't call it sexual abuse. And she said, you were sexually abused. And it was a revelation to me, even after years and all the things that I went through. And... What happened was I came back from the bathroom, I had my fly open, and, and she was a rather punitive sort of person, so she took her finger and stuck it in my crotch, and rolled it around, and made a funny noise in front of the whole class. I felt so ashamed. You know, I could have melted into the floor. And, then you, and I look at that second grade picture, and I understand why I was... You know, and, and so forth. So those were the big things. Now, on junior high, uh, there was another uh, incident or more with um, uh, another fellow. And uh, that, that went on for a few months and then quit. In high school, I had my first genuine spiritual experience. And it happened, um, I'll go through this quickly, um, in the garden. I was hoeing beans. And I was overwhelmed by the presence of God for whatever reason. And I fell to my knees. Now, that, that's kind of a bookend in my life. Because that I, I didn't pay attention to that. <laughs> Knew it happened, felt it very strongly, but did it make that much difference? Not at that point. When I was in high school, I started working outside the home. Uh, we knew that the janitor kept his porn in the false ceiling above the place of work. And it was biker stuff. It was harmless by today's standards. But for a kid, that was something. Um, 
I did not, oddly enough, start masturbating until I was in graduate school. This is, this is the strange thing. Everybody talks about masturbation happening earlier. But once it did, I was off to the races. And then there was the use of porn. Um, and, and it was of, of a kind of character that was started out heterosexual, became same-sex primarily over the course of time. Um, when I was, um, I, I swore this stuff off, you know, and all those kinds of things. And then in the course of time, uh, when I was went back for school when I was 35, I had the cleanest years of my adult life. And they were really wonderful years, and I and I had some uh, good help and so forth. And then, and then when I uh, returned home, I, I started uh, uh, feeling bad and sought counseling for some other areas in my life, and was trying to work on some things. And then at work, I, I found myself overwhelmed and so forth, and and uh, I was doing. Um, extra work over time, however you want to put it. And then my supervisor uh, called me to task on that, uh, which was really, he assigned it all to me. But uh, then, uh, then he publicly disciplined me. And that, that brought back that feeling of shame when I was a youngster. Now, what does this have to do with loneliness and so forth? When I was a youngster, I did not like the way I was in fourth grade. And I decided I was going to change. Self-will began to develop in me. That made me more and more isolated. I was, it was and am very socially adept. You know, I could make connections. I could, one classmate of mine confessed to me years later, said, I was always jealous of you. I couldn't imagine that. I had such a self-loathing, you know, and did not think of myself as being good. But, but I was, had this drive, you know, to move forward and, and to improve myself. Um, but as, as Roy says in, in the White Book, you know, that, that, that figure of the real connection eluded me. I was not sharing my pain. You know, my family was was wonderful and so forth. I remember saying to my best friend in college, I have a feeling I raised myself. And he dismissed it. He said, that can't be. Well, why trust anybody? You know, if they're not going to listen, you know, and so on and so forth. So three years after that discipline as an adult, um, and I was, I was, uh, I think around 40, I got propositioned by another man, and then I started anonymous sex relations with other men, to my great shame. Uh, that ended with an arrest. And then publicity. And uh, that was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. I'm grateful for that. I confronted shame full in the face, had a run of honesty that, that did not quit, and, and was able to begin to put back together the, the um, piece of my life. Um, with my father, who, who died during that period of time, previously I had sat down with him and I talked about that, that time when I was young and lost him. 
uh, to mom's sickness and so forth. I said, what was going on? And he said, oh, your mother was going crazy. There was, you know, I was afraid. And this was a, this is a guy that had bronze star and purple heart. Uh, you know, it, he, he said to me, I was afraid. It, I just melted. You know, we, we never shared feelings like that. So what, what I'm trying to say in, in that detail of my story is this. Um, my loneliness is grounded in fear. Uh, my lack of connection comes out of trauma in my life. What I have found in this program is, is a place of refuge and healing where I can speak my truth and know that I am loved no matter what. I should have known that in my family, and I, and I, but I didn't feel it. And it. This disease that we have is a feelings disease. Now, and we, we get all balled up one way or another in these strong negative emotions or overwhelming positive. And, and they get messed up. <laughs> but what a wonderful thing to have everything put back in place, at least in the beginning, you know, and to have that wonderful sense of trudging the road of happy destiny. It's not easy, but it's rewarding. Thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, you will now have the opportunity to share with the group. Please focus on the topic of the meeting. Uh, which is, once again, what to do with isolation and loneliness. Um, we'll try to keep to a three-minute sort of uh, time. Floor is now open. And you know the usual. Please don't say anything that's graphic, and um, be careful about uh, revealing anything that we might have to further on uh, report to law enforcement and so forth. Okay. Good evening, I'm Bill, recovering sexaholic. I um, I certainly don't have the answer to um, isolation and loneliness. Uh, if if I did, I, I might not be here <laughs> um, because uh, it isolation and loneliness are a big um, trigger and contributing um, factor in my addiction and. Um, I've tried to uh, solve the the problem or deal with it by uh, making connections online, and that has become that that has not worked well, and has become a um, really become the most important part of my disease in recent years. Um, I've lost a job over it and my and my personal life has been disrupted um uh, so i'm here to um you know to to find ideas I, i'm i will i'll just say 
one thing. I, there's not one. I don't. There's not one reason that I'm uh, prone to to isolate. But I. But one thing that contributed to it was that when I was in uh, fourth and <laughs> fourth and fifth grade, I was uh, bullied by a classmate over a period of of a year, and. Um, and I felt so much shame over that 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 drove me into myself and away from other kids. And um, I think it's con- it, it's continued to um, play a role in my um, isolation my whole life. Um, that's it. Thanks for letting me share. Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Nathan. Um, isolation and loneliness, uh, that's been my, you know, my, my MOs are, uh, you know, pornography and masturbation. And even that, like, I, I feel that isolation so much that even with acting out, I, I have never been able to act out with another person, which I am grateful for. But also has been like a source of shame for me too. Like I can't even interact with another person. Uh, you know, like just feeling some like jealous of the guys that can go over and flirt with the girls. Like I am, I've, and for me that isolation it, it comes from my lack of uh, feeling any self worth or any that like any value, and really afraid to expose myself to or open myself up to another person and and get that rejection they're going to see what's you know they're going to see what's really inside and uh yeah at a really young age i learned to isolate um you know and 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 I, my parents were very critical of me uh punished me a lot threatened me and took away a lot of things that you know if it was something that i wanted or something that i had that i was enjoying they would use that as something to manipulate me with and I learned that it's best to just stick to myself. Don't let anyone in. Don't let anyone know. Don't let anyone know this. This might be something I want. Don't speak my feelings. Don't let anyone. Don't let anyone know anything. Just keep up those walls, and that's how I'll be happiest and and safest. And you know, I'm slowly learning today that it's okay. You know, like I I I'm not a kid anymore. I live in a different environment. Uh, learning slowly, slowly to trust people. A lot of it starts with being able to share things at meetings and, you know, not have people look at me like some crazy weirdo. And, uh, and like, yeah, have people come over and, have people come over and, and, um, you know, say that they appreciated what I had to say and that they related to that. And it's like, wow, okay, I'm not completely messed up. And, um, something that's helped me a lot a few weeks, a few months ago is I've started to, uh, I guess like I've heard people say that with their fourth step, they wouldn't just take inventory of their character defects, but also of their positive things. And, uh, I never, I don't know. I never, I just never thought that that was something I wanted to take a look at. Um, and I started writing every day, 10 positive things about myself, uh, whether it was something I did or a trait that I have, or just that I, I didn't kill anyone that day. Sometimes it's just as simple as that. And, uh, that's helped me, recognize that I'm not 
I'm not all bad. And, um, yeah, like, uh, I'm really seeing a difference. Uh, I went to a conference, uh, a couple weeks ago and I'd been to one several months before that. And I was able to kind of see the contrast where I was able to, I was able to go over to people. I was able to initiate a conversation. I was able to talk to people and, and, you know, especially if I was feeling uncomfortable, I was able to get out of my own head. Thanks. 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 I'm Fitz, a sexaholic from St. Louis. One year of sobriety, 20 years of working toward it. When I think of my youth, to shorthand this, I think of me alone, playing in some fashion, keeping myself occupied, and with no brothers and sisters, um, and an absent parent a lot. Um, that's the that's the picture. By high school, I definitely remember thinking of myself as an observer in the universe. I read a lot of science fiction, so I saw myself as superior, looking down at the world, at all these others, and learning the, the rules of control. By the time I was forty, I was in a full suit of armor, emotional armor and quite capable of driving a spear through anybody who tried to uh, approach me or uh, care about me, uh, basically not trusting anybody. That's the background. What am I doing with it today? I know when I'm, oh, I'm a projects person. I love to do isolated projects and accomplish with that. Computer, I can spend half a day easily uh, working out a problem somebody else could fix in five minutes, but it'll give me a sense of accomplishment and worth. False, but false worth, but still. Uh, I know when I'm isolating, I recognize it, and I know when the isolation moves into uh, a sense of depression and loneliness. I recognize this, the symptoms. I know it's not a good place to be, and I know enough to pick up the phone and call somebody, whether they're an SA or one of the few people I feel are willing to accept a call from me and not just say, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> yeah, what's up? Uh, I'm your f friend. i just calling to see how you're doing. I can say that now without rage. Instead of saying, you haven't called me. And I remember those days in my childhood waiting for my best friend to call me and not have to reach out. I hated that. It made me vulnerable. It opened me to the pain. Uh, sexaholism was the way out of feeling what was within. I found other ways now. And I know that there are people who are willing, I can trust with my feelings. Um, and if no one else at, at a given moment, I can trust myself and God with my feelings. I've come to believe that. And writing helps a great deal. A lot more comes out on paper than I can ever speak from a microphone. And that's a gift that I'm happy with. 
I can also say I'm proud about it. It's an accomplishment. But mainly it gives me a sense of peace and not being alone. Thank you. I'm Todd. I'm a sexaholic. In my act of addiction, sober since October 11th of 2013, in my act of addiction, um, lonely and tired uh, was was a really dangerous combination for me. And the nature of my work, I, I travel a lot, um, travel alone a lot, stay in hotels alone a lot. Um, and I that meant I acted out a lot when I traveled um, in all different ways. Um, playing the game of whack-a-mole, trying to decide, you know, which form of lust was safest. Um, not, not, not ever thinking about leaving it behind, letting go of it. Um, I, I remember when I came into the program that I, I got this sponsor. And I was on a, I was on a trip, and I'm walking around in the city, and it was holiday time, and there was this big ad uh, of this woman wearing unspeakable things, you know, because for, for some retail shop. And I was just so obsessed with it. I, I just froze in my tracks. And I remember that I was embarrassed. I, I was afraid that other people standing at the same corner might notice that I was obsessed with it. And in the past, I would have, I would have fixated on that image. I, I would have gone back to my hotel room and I would have masturbated. But instead, I went back. And even though it was late, I called my sponsor, whose phone I knew was off. And I got his voicemail. And I left a voicemail saying what I just told you just talking about the insanity, hearing myself say the words made the insanity really clear. And all of a sudden, that sense of loneliness and isolation was gone. Um, and that, that's, that's been a real godsend for me. There was a guy, one of the first meetings I came to, he'd been sober for a few years, and I remember he started talking about, before I came into these rooms... I would talk to my pillow at night because that's the only thing I could talk to that would understand. And I thought, my God, you know, this is what this is about. This is, this is what the isolation is about. If I'm traveling, who would I have talked to without this program? I, I couldn't pick up the phone. I couldn't go down to the hotel front desk and say, I'm thinking about calling a prostitute. Is that okay? I mean, who on earth would I talk to? But in this program, I can actually pick up, I could call anybody in this room, and yeah, you'd know it's insane, but you'd relate to it, and I wouldn't be alone. So thank God for that. And, you know, just some other common sense things with regard to tired. I, you know, I'm really trying now to not travel late at night. You know, if, I, if I'm going to fly somewhere, I want to be there in time to have dinner at my normal time. I want to be there so I can have dinner at my normal time and go to bed at my normal time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, my name is Ben. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Ben. Uh, sober for two weeks at the moment. Um, lonely in isolation. Uh, my acting out is 99% of the time in isolation. Um, I'm an extrovert. It's particularly ironic that when I'm feeling bad, 
my mind immediately imagines I want to go hole up in my room by myself. Um, but that's how my mind works. And even apart from lust, there's still this part of my brain that's like, all right, if you know, you had a cabin in the woods with a giant library, you could like go hole up for like a few months and like work out and you'd come back totally awesome. It's not how I work, but this part of my brain insists somehow isolating. I can somehow just magically make myself better. Um, looking back, I must've been quite lonely even in high school, though I don't remember ever feeling that. Um, the story of my last decade plus has been one of gradually learning how to, you know, foster more friendships and such. Um, when I was, I lost 11 months of sobriety a year ago and that 11 months was the best of my life. And part of that was finding a lot of friends in the program. For me, one of the things I've found that was really important was doing things with people outside of meetings. Um, a lot of my friends in program enjoy playing board games. Um, I like music. I've had some of them over just to sing fun songs. Um, you know, go, go out to movies, stuff like that. Um, that's made a big difference. Uh, the other thing for me, I'm the sort of person that really likes hugs. Um, so often I'll ask people at meetings if they want hugs. Um, the people I know, and I'll do it sometimes now since like, you know, if I'm giving all the guys I know hugs, I'll ask someone I may not know as well. And sometimes, you know, occasions we're like, nope, and that's fine. I'll just give them a handshake. Um, but just that's like learning that I can ask for those things. Um, I had some kind of self-pity towards a lot of my uh, college friends for not doing much to keep in touch with me. Mind you, I didn't do much either. Um, and there was one exception to this, my old roommate, who's been very proactive about staying in touch. And for that, I'm really grateful. Um, but yeah, just it's, it's so weird to say, but even just learning how to be like, hey, I want to have friends over to play games. Like, let me just call someone and see if a couple people want to do something or one person and then ask others. Like, that was something I had to learn after if you like that was something I had to learn. I didn't really know how to do that until a few years after program. Um, yeah, uh, I still struggle with loneliness sometimes. Um, not surprisingly with my disease, uh, often I think what I want to fix that is to have a girlfriend. Um, but I'm gradually learning that I can feel very connected, um, with friends and family. Family has been another one where my relationships with my family is pretty good, but I, again, I can foster that more. Um, and that, that helps me. Thanks. Hello, my name is Ilya. I'm a sexaholic. So we're about 370 days. Um, about loneliness and isolation, I guess, uh, growing up, I always felt alone. Um, uh, my mom, I was, we were immigrants. We came to this country. My mom was very busy. So I had to be alone. I had to kind of like take care of myself. And, uh, my mom wanted me to be very independent, you know, uh, so I had to kind of like be on my own and just take care of myself and things like that. Um, and then also in my acting out, I remember a few instances of like such deep loneliness. I mean, I remember one time I was in a foreign country and it was like, I was like in the middle of a highway hundreds of cars are going by and I'm trying to like find a prostitute at like three o'clock at night and I felt like I was the only person in the whole world like I don't know it was just I felt so lonely I remember thinking I want to go to a strip club and I was thinking like I just want to go for the company I know it's all nonsense they just want my money but the delusion like I needed something and thank god nowadays I try to really stay away from loneliness and isolation because that's like there's like there's like 
like not there's like a trigger like loneliness and isolation is a trigger for me to act out so what i do besides the sexual stuff and saying there's other stuff that's not sexual that's also a trigger i try to not st- get, be lonely or isolate and some things i do is I, I make a phone call i never used to call my friend even people not in the program i never used to call my friends unless i needed something from them and now like i'm at a pizza shop and i feel alone and like everyone has friends over there and everyone's over there and I pick up a, my phone, I call my friend, and I just talk. And at first he was surprised, like, like you don't want anything, you don't need anything, and you're just, like, giving me a call, and yeah, and we just talk. And I call people in the program, and I go to meetings, you know, fellowship, that, that helps. And something that's really silly, but it kind of helps, and I'm going to just share it, you know. When I went to San Antonio, I went to the San Antonio Commission. There was, um, we, I went with uh, my wife to the zoo, Thank you. And, uh, there was, uh, there was like a, a gift shop and I bought a stuffed cheetah. I wanted a stuffed lion. There were none around. So I settled for a stuffed cheetah. And, uh, cause I really like, like big cats and stuff. So I got this cheetah and I said, my wife thought I was a little kid. And I said, I don't know. I just feel like very, sometimes I'm lonely when you're around. And I'm so embarrassed, but I just like hug the cheetah and go to sleep. And that helps, you know, I don't know, because especially when I'm under a lot of stress and anxiety, at work and pressure and I don't know I just it's something about it I, I think I heard it on a tape where this guy went to rehab and they gave him like a, a stuffed uh, a line like a, a line of courage and I don't know I, I just did it and it helps and I don't care if it helps if it works for me I just do it and uh, I'm not perfect I still feel lonely and isolated I'm also trying I also started reading books that like helped me and um, you know and uh, I'm learning you know I still have a lot to improve still you know, and, and that's it. Thank you for letting me share. My name is Anthony. I'm a sexaholic. Anthony. I have only been sober for a few days. Um, I, like previous shares, really relate to this theme of loneliness, and I kind of came here hoping to hear, um, you know, people's thoughts so that I could and you know know what to do next time when my responsibilities are done but it's not quite bedtime and i just feel that ennui and that unrest you know and that desire for a connection and uh what i've found uh to be true in my experience and what my sponsor has said many times is that my higher power knows what i need i'm a, you know humans are social animals we need a certain amount of human interaction. And if that's what I need, then I can trust my higher power to provide that. And often he provides that through the calls. And you know, that's like the obvious answer. Hang out with somebody in the program. Only at that late time at night, I don't feel like doing that. I don't really want to talk about program. I don't really feel like talking, um, paradoxically, but I don't want to be alone. Um, and that's when I get really trapped in self because I realize it's all about what I want. You know, whether it's a girlfriend, whether it's better friends, whether it's program friends to talk about things that I want to talk about. It is all about me. And the big book says that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of all our problems. And there's no way for me to defeat that without God. And I can go to God. I don't have to use, you know, a, a prayer of somebody else. I can just say, I feel really lonely right now. And I don't feel like doing any of the healthy things that I know would make me feel better. Please help. Um, and then my sponsor is all about taking the actions and letting the feelings follow. 
So um, that means uh, that I need to make the call even if I don't feel like it. Because, I mean, we can just see in this room, I mean, there are so many people here who could use a call from each other, you know? And we all know that person in the meeting who's kind of awkward or, you know, you know, could use someone reaching out. How many times have we heard, wow, thanks so much. It meant so much that you reached out, you know? And so, but I don't have that spirit myself. I want people to reach out to me. So it is my higher power that I need to go to for help with that, you know, to actually be a loving and friendly presence to somebody else, to make that phone call and not just do it, but to have it be life-giving and happy and beautiful. That's a gift that my higher power is willing to give both to me and to the person that I don't feel like calling. Um, and so that's what I want to do more is, is look for my higher powers help, uh, when I'm, when I'm looking to make that connection because he can energize that and make that possible. Thanks. Hi, I'm Kirsten. I'm a sexaholic. I've been sober since July 7th, 2015. Um, I really relate to this topic because, um, I often feel like I have this, I think someone used the word armor. I think of it more like a steel box around myself. Um, a defensive shield, as my sponsor calls it, um, that keeps everyone else out uh, because I think it'll keep me safe. Um, and it's mostly made up of my ego. Um, getting in the way of my connection with God. And it's really painful to um, be here and listen to the speaker tonight um, because I, I know that what I'm really looking for is that deep connection with my higher power and um, that I like to block it out because I like to be my own higher power and I... I want to worship myself. Um, and I don't think about it like that when I'm, when I'm doing those things, but that's what I'm effectively doing. And I find it hard to relate to others. Um, even when I'm around them, because I'm just judging them in my head and thinking about what I can get out of that interaction. Um, a lot of times, even when I'm trying to help other people, I'm really just trying to look good. Um, and that is something that I really need to surrender, um, doing things that other people can't see is a helpful way for me to work on that. But, um, being of service really has made me feel a part of, uh, especially in the fellowship because it's not so easy to share in fellowship after meetings if you're the only female, um, in certain ways and being of service has really made me feel like I'm not different. I'm not separate. I'm not alone. Um, and I'm grateful to be here and try and get some of the inside out. Thanks. Just one little more thing for me to share. 
the turning point for me was 15 years ago this month. I was working with a counselor on my issues and so forth, and I was just not getting it, especially about getting to feelings. You know, and, and that, and, and then um, I said, "Why are you wasting your time on me?" And he said, "You're worth it." It's so simple. It just it just opened up everything. Listening to all of you and sharing this evening, it reminded me of that. You're worth it. All the effort that we go through, all the pain that we've experienced. You know, and, 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 and there's something wonderful happening here. Okay? In closing, where's my script? <laughs> Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. Uh, let's all stand and say the third step prayer.
Hey, go please, but seriously, we lost the brown, but we're gonna come back on our own. We will. It's gonna happen. Dude. I'm not I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.